Welcome back to Lights Inside the Tunnel, a podcast where we take an intersectional and interfaithful look at what social justice means in the time of social distancing. I'm your host, Fiona, and this is our second episode, Don't Be a Fossil Fool. Hey, everybody. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us for our second episode. I am super excited about today's guest and our conversation, so I just want to jump right in. Um, Our guest today is a phenomenal human being. Uh, He is incredibly funny and super talented, but he has an even bigger heart. It's Luke Jinta. Luke, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you for the introduction. You make me feel like Gandhi. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get that nice of an intro on your own podcast? Uh, no, not really. Marty and I fight a lot, so... Uh, All right, so I'll, 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 talk to, I'll talk to him um, a little later. <laughs> That's a shameless plug. Go listen to Luke and Matt Bavette's podcast. Muddy's Waters. Also, yeah, yeah, it's also great. Um, if you need to laugh a little bit and feel good about the world, <laughs> go listen to that. <laughs> okay, Luke, before we get started, I have a question for you. Sure. You ready? What is your favorite thing about going to a Jesuit school? I think it's the people. Um, yeah. Yeah. I realized this when I went to St. Peter's uh, my freshman year. Um, I I kind of struggled socially a lot when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, especially in like grammar school. And when I went to prep, what we called it, um, everybody was just so friendly and they kind of just cared about you on a deeper level. Um, yeah. And I never got that with uh, people at home. I mean, like obviously family and stuff, but like other, other kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was scared about that coming to Lemoyne, but I was completely wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's probably my favorite thing too, just in the sense that, um, I think if you get a Jesuit education, you're guaranteed a great community, um, no matter where you go. Absolutely. Uh, Like my top three schools for college were all Jesuit schools. And I knew that no matter which one I picked, I was going to end up being happy there because they all just had such great feelings of community there. Yeah. So I asked because this week um, when this podcast is posted is Ignatian Heritage Week, which celebrates the values of St. Ignatius and our history um, of the Jesuits. So, yeah, even (laughs) though we're not on campus, campus ministry is still celebrating. So everyone who is listening should go to the Lemoyne Facebook and Instagram page, like campus ministry pages, to find out what is happening. There's going to be a special Jesuit-themed trivia event tomorrow Ooh. on Wednesday, April 15th at 9.30 p.m. For more information, just check out the social media. Um, if you don't want to do it for Luke or me, do it for our Jesuits because they're awesome. Do it for me, too, though. <laughs> do it for Luke, too. <laughs> All right. So Luke and I are celebrating Nation Heritage Week right now by talking about taking care of God's creation. But before we get into all that good stuff, Luke. How are you? How's your family? How's your community? Um, my community of three in this household is <laughs> it's, it's going all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of Netflix binging. You ever watch Grace mm-hmm. and Frankie? No, but I don't need any more recommendations because I should be doing work. <laughs> but it's cats out of the bag. You've made the recommendation. <laughs> um, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of homework, obviously, um, and you know, I, I've I've been talking to Matt Babbitt a lot recently too about the podcast and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and a great thing about um, this time 
home was talking with you guys, you, Danny, and Mia. Yeah. About what's happening with sustainability on campus. Yeah. I feel like even though we're not on campus, so many people are still doing really great work. And I kind of feel like I'm still a part of the campus community, even though we're not all together, which has been really great. Because it's, you know, going home for the summer is always sad. But so, you know, going home for this was kind of even more sad. So, um, yeah. But we're doing it for a good reason. Yeah. And I, I, I think that this virus is especially like a wake up call. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we need to learn from this. It, it it offers us a chance to take better care of ourselves, but also like other things. It offers us like an opportunity, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I feel like a lot of people, including myself, are paying attention to things that I wasn't necessarily paying attention to before, which is really important. Um, And it's taking some time just to, like, reflect and, like, be conscious of the world, but without having to, like, leave my home so I can kind of just absorb it all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So maybe this is a good place to start talking about sustainability. Um, So I think that being um, away from campus all this time, I think this offers us an opportunity to utilize the time we have to focus on planning efforts for the fall as far as sustainable uh, things. So like, I mean, this spring, this past spring, uh, physical plant and forces put up these recycle recycling guide posters in the resident halls. But um, I think we should probably plan to do some more things in the fall. Um, I was talking with some people, including Fiona um, (laughs) about doing something almost like Earth Day in the fall because we weren't able to celebrate it this past this past spring. Yeah. And you and I, um, like, we had big plans for Earth Day. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Let's, I mean, maybe we can tell everybody a little bit about that. So um, we were going to do, like, an Earth Day weekend kind of thing, like celebrate the Earth, take care of the Earth um, on that Friday. So Earth Day was, like, is, like, going to be a Wednesday or something. But on that Friday, we were going to do um, – like a climate solidarity rally um, that people do all over the country. You went to one of those, didn't you? Or did you plan on going to one? Um, I went to a zero waste summit. I want to say two months ago, maybe roughly. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, I met with people from all over the Northeast. Uh, A lot of people from SUNY ESF, but um, we talked about how we can plan certain or how we can strategize certain programs so that we can limit our waste output. Um, and one of the other components of the Earth Day thing we were going to do was, um, doing a cleanup, a campus-wide cleanup. Yes. Um, we were going to do stuff in the Lemoyne Woods and we were thinking about busing people to other places. So yeah, we might do that in the fall if we can. Yeah, I think we should. I think there's like a United Nations, like, gl- like Earth Summit or something that happens in like September. So maybe we can plan it around that. I don't know. That'd be cool. But I would like to, I'd like to do something again, um, and it gives us more time to plan. Yeah, there's nice. there's also Coastal Cleanup Day, which I believe is September 21st. Oh. So we could do something yeah. around then. We did that this past fall. Um, another shameless plug. My One of my <laughs> my club uh, forces is LeMoyne's Environmental Club, and we do a lot of cleanups in the LeMoyne Woods and other areas. So yeah. If anyone's interested in getting involved. Sign up. Yeah. 
So I'm glad you brought up forces. Um, and I want to talk more about that. But first, I just want to ask you, so, you know, what does sustainability mean to you? And I know you're really passionate about this topic. When did you become so involved in just advocating and working for environmental justice? Um, I think that really started for me in Boy Scouts. Um, they always taught us like leave no trace. And that's like, you know, picking up your your, your stuff um, <laughs> and cleaning up the campsite and just leaving nature as little disturbed as possible. And like that mm-hmm. was, that was minor, but um, what really started it was, I guess, like Hurricane Sandy. Um, yeah. You know, me being from Jersey, uh, Jersey got impacted from Sandy the most. Um, my local environmental center, um, it was a wetlands and the place got flooded and a bunch of local vegetation was taken off. So then it, it was like derooted. Yeah. Um, so then for my Eagle Scout project, I like restored a little bit of it. Um, and that kind of got me interested in the environment. I feel like we kind of low key have a brain meld right now because one of the questions that I actually had was to ask you about, um, the impact of Hurricane Sandy on your community. Yeah, it was, it was big. Um, yeah, I mean, up by me, well, I'm in Northern Jersey and Mm -hmm. we, we got impacted by Sandy definitely, but Irene was definitely worse because what you okay. what you saw in Irene was more uh, river flooding uh, mm. because of its trajectory, and then in Sandy it was more coastal flooding, and that's why Southern Jersey got hit hard. Yeah. Um, but my family, ironically, we just got a house down the shore like two months before Sandy, and, then, and then Sandy flooded and the house was destroyed. No. But. FEMA covered it, so... Uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> Shout out to the federal government. Word, we got, we got hooked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I think that sometimes... Um, I mean, I remember this was a conversation that I was having with people. I was in my senior year of high school, so you would have been a freshman in college when um, um, Hurricane Harvey... And I think Hurricane Irene were the same year, uh, like, same school year, um, hit. And I I was talking to people and people were like, well, you know what, like hurricanes have always happened. I don't know why all of a sudden, like we're making such a big deal about them. Um, one, I mean, we're making a big deal about them because people are losing their lives, their livelihoods yeah. and their, you know, shelter and homes. Um, but also hurricanes are getting worse as the, the global temperature is rising. Yeah. Um, that increases precipitation amounts because of low pressure systems, I believe. And that makes, mm. that makes them more intense. Um, yeah. I believe, I think it was Sandy. It had like an insane amount of rainfall. Yes. Yeah. I remember, but... I mean, so I'm in upstate New York or I'm in Western New York. I actually get kind of pressed when people say that we're in <laughs> <laughs> upstate New York. I'm not in upstate New York. Um, although I love upstate for all our upstate listeners. <laughs> um but we actually got the day off school um when sandy um like was hitting uh, land in new jersey because we were getting rain and high winds and big you know pressure fronts over here Mm -hmm. and it is about um so i have family in southern jersey and it's about a nine hour drive right so like just think about like that is the that's the distance Mm -hmm. and we and school got canceled in october because it was so bad yeah i was we got canceled i was in eighth grade when uh when, wait, was it eighth grade? Yeah, eighth grade when Sandy hit. And we got, I want to say like three days off because everything was just messed up really bad. Yeah. Um, but down the shore, I mean, I didn't go because my parents didn't want me to, but my brother 
he's a state trooper and he was down mm. there because um, it was a state of emergency and he saw one of the houses had a gas leak and it lit on fire Ugh. and then it lit a whole block on fire and it was insane. Oh my God. But um, I think what was special about Sandy um, is that it brought pretty much everybody in the state of New Jersey together. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there was this big campaign put out by Christie's administration. It was called Stronger Than the Storm. And it was, pl- I remember playing it, it was playing on the TV all of the time. Yeah. But, well, yeah. and I remember, um, it was it was a it was a moment when kind of the whole world coalesced together in the sense that I think like right around that time was the 2012 election um, when Obama got reelected and just like a couple weeks before Christie had been out campaigning for Mitt Romney, um, but then there was like a huge video of the two of them like meeting up in the some of the worst hit areas and like hugging and just you know really coming together and I think that one I I highlight that story because I think that that's kind of what needs is is happening and needs to be happening right now around this virus like we all need to be coalescing but I also think it's like um, a a story about uh, climate change on a micro scale that we need to talk about on the macro scale like if we're gonna fight um, like changes in our environment we all have to come together and like put differences aside just to take care of our most vulnerable i forget where this quote is from but um sustainability isn't about doing everything perfect or it, it's it isn't about one person doing everything perfect it's about everybody doing every uh doing everything imperfect i think that's the quote mm-hmm. oh i love that i've never heard that before <laughs> i think that's a really great i know i think that's such a good idea i mean because sometimes i feel hopeless i'm like you know what is the fact, like, that I'm, you know, putting all my stuff in recycling? What is that really going to do in the large scheme? But, like, I think that's kind of counterproductive, right? Because if I'm putting everything in recycling and everybody else is putting everything in recycling, you know, like, we're doing something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to read off the correct quote just so uh, All right. Yeah. Um, so this is a quote by Anne-Marie Bonneau of Zero Waste Society. Uh, we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. Mm, and I, I, that's great. Yeah, I, I think it's just this accumulation of improvement over time. Um, yeah. On everything that we can just do. Yeah. So on that note, um, give me your pitch. So say I'm like, oh, I don't really know why I should care about climate change or sustainability. Give me your pitch as to why I should. Um, so one of the big realizations I had, um, when coming to Lemoyne and talking about sustainability was in global, what was it? Global resources by Dr. McCrimmon. Um, Mm -hmm. and he gave us this book. It was called climate of hope, um, Mm. book written by former New York mayor. What's his name? Michael Bloomberg. And then, uh, former president or CEO of the high Sierra society. I think that's what it's called. Um, Carl Pope. And Mm. one of the things Bloomberg talked about was that climate change isn't just an environmental issue. It's also a human issue. Yes. Um, So, like, if we don't take care of our carbon uh, dioxide emissions, it could also impact human health, like asthma. Um, Yeah. He cited, I believe, the amount of asthma in people has grown over the years, Mm -hmm. um, correlating with um, or coinciding with emission rates. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I think that's a really important point. Um, I used to fall into this trap of thinking that it's like, you know, of course I care about the environment, but I would say to myself, you know, there's so many other issues that are affecting people right now. Like, you know, the, the environment seems kind of a distant conversation, mm. but my mindset has completely changed over these past couple of years because I've realized how much of an intersectional issue climate injustice is. Yeah. Just like, you know, if you care about a refugee crisis, like you should care about climate change because climate change creates refugees. You know, if you care about racism and racial discrimination, you should care about climate change because climate change disproportionately affects our communities of color. If we care about our farm workers, if we care about gender equity, global poverty, like all of these issues have such deep ties to climate justice. Um, So I think that this is just like an issue that, has the potential for all of us to coalesce around. We just have to actually do the coalescing. Yes. Yeah. Um, question. Yeah. Have you ever been it. to the Ignatian Family Teach-In? I have. Okay, great. All right, good. I was going to say, you should definitely go. I haven't. I didn't know if you <laughs> Have you been? Yeah, I went what was it, three times. Oh, my God. Can you go next year? I might. Please. We can go together. Hey, yo. <laughs> It'll be so much fun. Let's do it. Yeah. We had a great time this past year, and one of, and I one of the topics this year was climate justice. I remember, I think it was it was either my first time, which was twenty sixteen, or the year before me. But like the whole theme was climate justice. Yeah, yeah. So they brought that back this past year, and I have a feeling that it might be next year too, because there was overlap. So I went for the first time. Not this past year, but the year before that. And it was, um, like, um, resolving the refugee crisis and um, humane immigrant, or not humane, I already said that, um, humane criminal justice reform. Um, And this year it was solving the refugee crisis and climate justice. So I feel like if they're going to take an issue and, you know, translate it to next year, I think it might be climate justice, which would be really exciting. I'm down the clown with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So you guys heard it here first. Luke's going to the teaching next year. Join me. Join me and Fiona. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so much fun. So much fun. It's a good time. Okay. So you're Catholic. Yep. Right? I thought so, but I just had a moment where I was like, well, maybe he's not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the Pope talks a lot about, Pope Francis mm-hmm. talks a lot about climate justice. Um and uh, you'll hear a lot of people, specifically who come from a faith background, talking about Laudato Si, which is um, an encyclical that Pope Francis wrote about taking care of the earth. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, um, you know, just like how your faith informs your belief in caring for the planet? I think that my faith definitely highlights, like, just how beautiful the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it sounds kind of, you know hippie free love type thing. But <laughs> um, one of the things I think about is like the ocean uh, when I'm on the Jersey shore, like when you're on the beach or just anywhere serene, like I just think like that, this is, yeah. a, it's special, you know, like, like how lucky are we to just be able to be here and just enjoy everything that's so serene and beautiful. And like that, that motivates people like me to protect it, you know, and just do things that we can to make yeah. sure it's Okay. Yeah, no, and, um, I mean, 
I mean, that's a really deep question. Um, so sorry if you weren't expecting it, but for me, like, I also think like that, um, my faith definitely informs my compassion for the earth, just in the sense that, um, in my freshman year of high school, we did a whole religion class on the old Testament. And I just think about, you know, the fact that, um, the world doesn't belong to us Mm. and that we're, we're the stewards of it and we're here to take care of it. Um, and I also think, you know, I'm like, um, I think about all of my ancestors who took care of the earth, um, doing what they could so that I could be here today. And it would be really nice if I could do that for the, for, you know, generations to come. Um, yeah. All right. So you brought up before sustainability on Lemoyne's campus. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit about the work that Forces does? So Forces is a chapter of a larger organization set up by the New York um, State Park System. Um, mm-hmm. So they have a Forces chapter in Lemoyne, uh, SUNY ESF, and I think the rest are also SUNY schools distributed throughout the state. But Forces stands for Friends of Recreation, Conservation, and Environmental Stewardship. And um, these clubs are meant to promote sustainability on their own campuses while also doing service projects for the parks. Mm -hmm. Um, So this past year, um, Forces has really tried to focus on promoting sustainability on campus, um, especially considering that the new Sustainability Steering Committee just formed. Um, yes. One thing that we want to create is this kind of relationship between student involvement and faculty and, and administration plans. Um, yeah. So one of the ways we tried to focus on creating a kind of sustainable culture on campus was through solid waste. That's that's really the most tangible way and most uh, accessible way we think we can do some uh, cause some change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had what was it? Two or three cleanups in the fall. Um, and then we created, uh, recycling guide posters. Um, they're these huge, I think they're 36 by 24 inch, uh, posters that are going to be put up in the resident halls and the dorm lobbies. And they inform in the, or they inform people how to recycle everything down to the type of plastic, the grade, everything. Um, that way we can improve our habits. That's awesome. And I feel like that's really helpful, especially for someone like me, because um, I have a tendency, um, I'll tell a story, I have a tendency to think everything's recyclable. Um, For example, I was still um, in high school when I was putting plastic bags in recycling, because I think I just naively wanted to hope that they were recyclable. Um, And at one point, my mom was like, "Um, Fiona, you like, don't put those there. Um, so I think it's just really helpful, you know, just to know like, oh, okay, this can be recycled. This can't be recycled. Oh, this has to be taken to a special place to recycle it. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I was kind of new to the whole thing myself until this past summer. I worked, uh, an, an internship with this, um, this EPS recycling company and e- EPS is, um, what everyone calls, well, it's not styrofoam is, extruded polystyrene we were working with expanded polystyrene and expanded polystyrene was in like packaging and um extruded polystyrene that's what people use for um food food packaging and stuff yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about that internship yeah it was pretty great um so we created a recycling guide of best practice for 
um, the company that we were working for. So it was called Foam Cycle, and they had this huge machine that would crunch up packaging foam, and mm. it would melt it, and then it would shoot out this this ingot, and um, this would be sold at. What was it? Landfills. And the landfills would have these machines break it down and then they would sell it back to Foam Cycle. And then Foam Cycle would create from these styrofoam, uh, or not the styrofoam, from the EPS um, picture frames. Oh, wow. And, like, That's really cool. Yeah, EPS can actually be used for a wood substitute. And something that they're kind of thinking about doing with this is working in uh, like trailers, mobile homes, because it's lightweight too. Yeah. So. That's something that's kind of up and coming, kind of. That's great. Yeah, no, I mean, I think about that a lot because I feel like everything in my life is styrofoam, you know, like in any packages that we order, um, take out, like everything comes with styrofoam. So it's like cool to know that, you know, just throwing it out is, you know, there's something more that can be done. Yeah, um, everyone thinks that EPS is like this, you, you can't recycle it, but you in certain forms, you can. Um, right. Food, food styrofoam, you really can't because of contamination and stuff. But yeah. um, packaging foam, like the big stuff, you can definitely recycle. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, one of the things I learned in my internship was um, that really recycling is broken down by municipality and mm. county regulations. So Onondaga County, they recycle, what is it, type 1, 2, and 5 plastics but other ones don't. So Interesting. for anyone that's interested, definitely go on your municipality's website and look up what they can and can't recycle. That's a good idea. And what is like, and maybe this is too in, in the, the weeds, but like what are the different types of plastic? Like how are they, how do you di- differentiate between types of plastic? So there's, what is it? One through six. Um, let me look at that real quick. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. So, like, all I, I mean, I had the most experience with type six, and that was polystyrene. Um, mm. Polystyrene, you can't recycle. Um, type one is polyethylene. Type two is another form of polyethylene, and type five is polypropylene. But um, I mean, it doesn't really matter about the names. But if you see a plastic material, um, usually it'll have a triangle with three arrows and then a number in the middle of that triangle and then you could distinguish that type that's fascinating yeah so like if you have like a milk a plastic milk carton just look on the bottom and you'll see yeah sort of type and like red solo cups a lot of people don't know those are actually polystyrene so those can't be recycled they can't be recycled like and this is kind of more on a mass scale but would it do you feel like it would be productive if we kind of stop producing items out of non-recyclable plastics? I think so. I mean, I think there's, that that's definitely valid. Um, we yeah. just need something that's a viable alternative. Right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, recycling is kind of suffering right now because of um, the National Sword Program by China. Um mm. I sound like Donald Trump there, China. Uh, <laughs> um, so what, what used to be, uh, China used to take a lot of our recycling and our, our garbage, um, but then it got to the point where it was so contaminated in China and like 
we didn't sort our recycling that well that they cut us off. And it was, I think the program was called the National Sword. And now that recycling doesn't have this output, because recycling is a commodity, um, it can be bought and sold. Um, it's a valuable material. Yeah. Um, because we don't have this big exporting route to China, um, counties are restricting what they can and can't recycle because they only want to take the valuable stuff. Right. So I think we need to shift our materials more towards valuable stuff that we can reuse. Yeah. You know, and I think kind of the, the other important point that you made me think of there is also from like a social justice perspective is it's like, it's not really fair just to ship our trash off to um, developing countries, countries not as rich as we are. Right. Cause that's not really delaying or that's not fixing the problem. It's just delaying it and giving the problem to somebody else. Mm. Um, you know, and just giving us a little bit more time, but, um, you know, for me, I, I, I think I mentioned this in the past episode, but like, for me, social justice means that, um, we see ourselves as members of a global community. Um, and if we see ourselves as global uh, members of a global community, it's not really fair to give that to somebody else and then just be like, oh, you know, we're fine. We're just chilling. Yeah. Um, one of, one of the things I learned before or in high school was the difference between charity and justice mm. and charity charity like it solves surface level things but justice it, it solves root causes so i think i think we need to solve the root cause uh the root issue in yeah our recycling industry i'm so glad you brought that up because i feel like so often those two issues get conflated um mm-hmm. i took dr glennon's um theology class my freshman year um and the way he breaks it down is he says charity is like donations monetary fun you know giving something to alleviate a like a problem that is very present whereas climate or climate whereas justice is going and fixing it so that the problem is no longer existent Mm. you know it's like the the different i mean i'm making this up now but it's like the difference between a band-aid and surgery right yeah um yeah no and you know what um Julia Walsh, who was the first guest on the podcast, um, we were talking about, you know, how right now it can be really hard to do like those acts of true justice um, because we're all stuck inside our homes. And we were talking about that in regards to like immigration. But I think bringing that idea back to talking about the earth, um, you know, giving your like donating a certain amount of money to your local Sierra club or sunrise movement, um, you know, doing acts of charity to enable justice and then doing all we can in our own individual homes to minimize waste and that kind of thing is how you do justice in the time of social distancing in regards to taking care of the planet. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you you definitely uh, put that way better than I did. Oh, stop. Um, I, you got away with words, man. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just do a lot of talking, so you know when it sounds good, it sounds good. But yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't really know. Like I, I, I can't articulate things well. You know, so I, I just kind of do. I think. But I think you are great at articulating. You're not giving yourself enough credit. But uh, debatable. But okay. All right, we can have this fight later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Um, so let me think. Um, let's talk a little bit about Lemoyne and its commitment to sustainability. Do you want to take that away or? Um, well, 
I'm kind of still working on this. Um, I, I guess for like plans with like forces. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I work with Eric Furch a lot. The um, best. Yeah, he's he's the boy. Um, one of the leads in the sustainability steering committee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm part of the operations working group, but because of this whole virus um, thing, our plans were kind of put on hold. Right. We plan. We had this big plan for Earth Day and all that stuff. Um. But I, I think um, I'm kind of still waiting to hear back from him and the committee. Yeah. Um, do you know anything about it? Yeah. So um, I actually sit on the committee. Um, I am a member of, like, the community side of it. Um, so for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, Lemoyne has um, a steering committee. I don't exactly know what a steering committee is. I just know that it's very important. Um, and it receives, like, a lot of attention and support from the administration of the college. Um, but basically, it's looking at how to make Lemoyne um, more, for lack of a better word, more sustainable and um, compassionate towards our environment, both on campus and then in our local community. Um, and... So I feel like I've learned a lot of things through being on this committee that Lemoyne is doing really well that I had no idea about. Um, for example, um, something that I always think is a really big problem is food waste, um, especially on college campuses. Like it feels kind of hard to avoid, right? When you have to mass produce an amount of food for a lot of people, but it's, it's, it's an imperfect science, right? Like you have, never have any idea how many people are going to come in on a given night you know, um, but Sodexo does a lot of composting and that kind of thing, which is really great. Um, and then the other thing which I found out, which is really awesome and really cool, is that there's a big push right now, especially among universities, um, to divest from fossil fuels. Um, and Lemoyne is not invested in any. Like, we don't need to divest because we were never invested, <laughs> which is really Head awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And I think part of that might come from the fact that we're a younger college in the sense that, you know, I know like a lot of universities who are a lot older kind of built a lot of them, you know, their prestige and their, their endowment off the fossil fuels, but we didn't do that. I mean, I did talk to Dr. McManus, who is the, and um, Eric, um, they are the co-leads of the committee and they basically said you know if you were to do a deep dive into our investment portfolio you might find some things that you don't like just because the market is always changing Mm. and um Lemoyne specifically um does not do the investing a lot like this is an uncommon a lot of people will a lot of institutions will um go through a firm to do investing But what you do with that firm is you say, okay, these are our values as an institution, and we want our investments to line up with those values. Um, But on the outset, um, we don't have any investment, like, which makes me so happy. Because I know there's a huge... Yo, go ahead. No, I I was just going to say, I'm happy too. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like, there's a huge push, especially among schools in upstate to divest. Like, there's a lot of people at Syracuse who are pushing for divestment, a lot of people at Bing who are pushing for divestment. So it's just cool that um, we're not. And the other thing was, is that um, when I was kind of trying to find out information about this, I was looking online and I couldn't find anything. So I assume the worst. 
I was like, oh, if there's nothing up there, like, this probably means we've got, like, so much money coming in from this. Um, But then when I, like, actually sat down to have the conversation, we don't, which is so cool. Pretty great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So another thing that you've been working on is this United Nations Declaration for Sustainability. That's not the official title. Um, But do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So... I was talking with um, Mia Franco back in the fall, and uh, this was recently coming out of my internship with um, Foam Cycle. And um, so my internship was also part of this larger organization. It was called the PSEG Green Teams, and this was set up through Montclair State University. If anyone's looking for any environmental internships, definitely look them up in the summer. They Ooh. have some great stuff. So they, they set up teams of five to six students, and they each get a company. Um, and work on their sustainable development initiatives. And mine was foam cycle. But anyway, our trip went, or our group went to the UN for a trip. And um, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, we sat in on this conference. Um, I forget what the conference was called. It, it was something, it was a higher education conference. It was, it was full of colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, but they talked about the, I think it's the 17 goals of the UN regarding sustainable development. And these... These are goals set for the UN by 2030, I believe. Um, and it's 17 goals regarding environmental justice, human rights. Um, it also includes like sexual inequality, mm-hmm. racial justice, um, food insecurity. And I was talking with Mia Franco in the fall, and we both wanted to do something with sustainability on campus um, outside of forces. Um, and we both thought about the UN sustainable development goals. And we thought, how could Lemoyne fit in with these goals? Yeah. Um, so then we came up with this document. Um, and I mean, this is really Mia's brainchild. Um, but we wrote down things that Lemoyne already did that fit in with the goals, things that it could do in the future and then th- ways to improve. Mm-hmm. So, um, this document was something we were hoping we could present to the Sustainability Steering Committee and kind of offer some guidance and use it as a tool for certain things that they can do to improve sustainability on campus. Yeah. And I mean, I think the really cool thing, and you brought this up, but the cool thing about the United Nations Declaration is that it doesn't look at the environment as just like its own thing. It, it looks at how it parallels so many other kinds of inequality, Absolutely, um, which yeah. is really cool. And it's just like this idea um I've probably said this before, but one of my favorite sayings in life is um, a rising tide lifts all ships. And it's just in the sense like that if we if we lift everybody up, we can take care of our, you know, if we take care of the earth, we can lift everybody up, Um, you know. But that now that I'm saying that out loud, kind of not the quote we want for talking about (laughs) environmental justice, because probably don't want our oceans to rise that much Uh, (laughs) we're gonna have to find a way to edit that a little bit um yeah (laughs) rising tide lifts all ships but you know we don't like keep keep the ocean levels low (laughs) so um is there anything else that you wanted to tell us about that um i haven't asked about or we haven't already touched on um i think this is um me asking the audience for something. Yeah, do it. Um, 
something I've noticed on Lemoyne at Lemoyne is people see problems with sustainability on campus and they don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of people complain about the recycling and they'll say, Oh, it's so bad. No, it's so this and that. But I think you also need to engage with what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you really care, we should all work together with this extra time that we have off to come up with a game plan for the fall. Yeah. And I think we need to jumpstart or we need to get a jump on what we can do on campus. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that because I think that, um, especially on our campus, it is not a lack of concern that is the issue. Um, but it's the fact that it feels so monumental and, um, it feels like nothing that people do, like people feel, um, and I can fall in this to the, to this kind of mindset too, but it feels like, you know, no matter what you do, nothing's going to change. So why do anything? Yeah. Um, that kind of hopelessness. Um, but I think that, I think that you bring up a really good point that it's like the, the only way to not feel hopeless is to directly involve yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, I mean, if people are listening to this and they want to get involved, um, reach out to Luke, reach out to me, um, you know, reach out to other people that we've mentioned, um, you know, just join that conversation. Um, speaking of what we can be doing better, I mean, cause obviously like there's a macro level of this, but like on the individual level, like, do you have any tips for us about things that we can be doing to reduce our waste? Um, so this is something that I want to get into. It's composting. Mm. Um, composting is a great way to reduce your waste. Um, you can make valuable resources out of your trash. Um, and also I think that we should all be aware and conscious of our local, uh, municipalities recycling rules. Yeah. Um, just, I've, I've, I've done recycling so wrong mm-hmm. until like I, I found out what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, um, it's not just this one, this one set of rules across the entire country. It's it's so many individual rules and regulations. And I think that the first way to do it is start with what's going on at home. You're home, and I think we should start it. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, and it's it's little things that I do that just make me feel like I'm kind of making a change. Is like so okay. For example, um. In school, um, the trash can that I have in my room, I don't line it with a plastic bag, um, mm-hmm. which people might think is gross. I promise I'm not throwing out anything that's like would mess you know that up. But it just makes me feel good because I know that I'm not adding another plastic bag to a landfill, um, even if I am, you know, throwing out other things that can't be helped, you know, like banana peels and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that's something that I do that makes me feel like I'm making a difference. Um, yeah, I don't know. I We've started a push in my house to um, a couple different things. We only buy, like, fair trade coffee now because we learned that if, you, you know, if we're buying from, like, small local farmers globally, we're doing less to contribute to climate change. And also something that we've talked a little bit about as a family is going to maybe cloth napkins. Because, like, the only things that we really throw out are, like, our napkins and food scraps. And, mm. co- you know, if we, if we did composting and um, 
like cloth napkins, we would drastically reduce the amount of waste we have as a family, which would be really good. Um, I, I guess another thing like people can do. Um, so I learned this recently. Um, we're not supposed to have our outlets plugged in constantly because that wastes electricity. Mm, yeah. That's something that I started doing. My mom calls those vampire plugs. I don't really get it, but <laughs> I think, oh, okay. My sister's telling me because it sucks the energy without using it. Huh. I yeah. like that name. Yeah. Vampire plugs. Don't, don't do a vampire plug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really easy to unplug and plug things in. So. Yeah. There's a little thing. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, by doing little things like you can feel like you're actually doing something right. So speaking of doing things right, and I, this is maybe something that we can end on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are an environmental science major. Yep. And you obviously care a lot about this. Yep. Um, what is happening in the world of science right now um, in regards to the climate or not in regards to the climate that is giving you hope about the future? Um. So something that a lot of people are noticing is because of our reduced activity, uh, nature is starting or kind of healing with mm-hmm. everything. Um, one of the things I was looking at online um, in Venice, um, you know, a place with all these rivers and canals, there's this constant boat traffic um, because of the social distancing and everyone's indoors. Um, it's given a chance for the, the system to clear up and the water's starting to clear up. And people could see fish. And there's actually, I think there was actually dolphins seen in Venice. Oh, my God. Um, dolphins and, are everywhere. Yeah. They're on um, this podcast right now. <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, like, a lot of people are just seeing that um, our, our habits are, or how impactful our habits are and how much of a presence we have on the planet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think this provides us an opportunity to see what else has changed because we're not outside doing everything because we're not functioning at normal. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of something that's making me hopeful too, in the sense that um, obviously, you know, just locking ourselves in our home is not going to be a forever thing and it's not going to fix everything. No. Um, But just, you know, seeing that like so many factories have closed down. So the overall amount of pollutants in the air is also going down. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, everything everything being shut down, I mean it it's it's bad, but right. it shows maybe what other or it shows how we impact the planet around us. Right. Like like our day-to-day activities, things that we don't even think about how they can impla- impact everything, you know? Yeah. You know, and I think the other thing that is kind of important to bring up now that I that you said that that I um made me think of it is just that um you know, when we're talking about, so obviously like part of the reason a lot of these things are shutting down has also caused people to lose their jobs and like um, really different terrible things that have put um, real economic strains on people. So it's just this idea that, you know, when we do um, start to push and advocate and work and create a more um, environmentally equitable world, um, we really have to focus on the communities that, um, are hurt the most right now, but also um, would be hurt the most by changing over. You know, it's it's not mm-hmm. it's not the billionaire fossil fuel kings that are going to be hurt, but it's the people that are 
working in mines and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So to really take care of them, um, you know, in a transition to a green economy, yeah, that's important too. Yeah, like, the, it, it, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, right. like this, this is something that it's going to take years and years for us to transition to slowly. And like something that you're seeing in the energy field is people are slowly starting to move away from fossil fuels and they're moving towards natural gas and natural gas is seen as this intermediate. It's only seen as mm-hmm. this stopping point or not a stopping point, just a, I guess, uh, just one stop on the road to, uh, like solar and wind until yeah. that becomes even more commercially viable. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that, um, I think specifically like in the Jesuit tradition, which is what we're being educated in is definitely just this challenge to, um, you know, when we're thinking about one vulnerable population, we have to think about all vulnerable populations. Definitely. Yeah. All right, Luke, we've been at this for almost an hour. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Your insight was super helpful and you know i'm feeling a little bit better about the world right now and you know it's just nice to it's nice to hear your voice and check in word word (laughs) um everybody go listen to luke and matt bavette's podcast muddied waters um check out what's happening on lawrence instagram and facebook for ignatian heritage week and until then we'll talk soon All right. Bye, guys. See you later. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you'll come back next week. Remember, a new episode drops every Tuesday. You can find this podcast on whatever platform you like to listen to your podcasts on, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and soon Apple Podcasts as well. Thanks again to Luke Jinta for joining us today to talk about climate justice. And please connect with us online during this Ignatian Heritage Week. Until then, stay safe, wash your hands, and tell people you love them. Can't wait to talk with you all soon.